podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket uh, by armchair critics of the game. We are recording this episode on the 23rd of February. Um, thank you for all your support. Uh, do keep uh, your comments coming in. Your feedback is also very important for us. Um, introduce this to your cricket-loving friends. Uh, please uh, uh, spread our reach uh, as much as you can. Um, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or any other uh, podcasting platform that you may use. Uh, we have an, uh, a Facebook page now. Uh, you can look for Armchair Cricket Podcast. Um, we uh, periodically post um, quizzes and polls on our Facebook page. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at uh, armchaircrickpod. Um, we are usually live uh, in, on Twitter uh, during an ongoing match. Uh, you can join us there for a banter. Um, you can email us on armchair.cricket at gmail.com. And uh, whichever platform you listen to us on or wherever you follow us, do leave your comments and also give us a rating, preferably a five-star rating. Um, now, having said that, we have a lot of topics to discuss today, a lot of um, hot topics. Um, but uh, before that, I would like to introduce to uh, you to my co-host, Ajit. Hello, Ajit. How are you doing? Hi, Gary. I'm doing good. Uh, as you say, it's a very eventful cricket week. Before we get into the cricketing events, how have you been? How are you holding up? Well, I think we've had a lot of exciting uh, few days of cricket uh, during the last one week or so. And uh, we've seen some history books being rewritten. Uh, so a lot of exciting times. I think it's it's going to be very good uh, this episode. I have uh, feeling that uh, it's going to be a nice, uh, you know, conversation indeed yeah. also some serious things to discuss yeah yeah of course yeah mm. so before we go there i think uh, let's quickly look at the trivia question from last week so uh, so based on some inputs that we received uh, we've decided that we'll sort of simplify the trivia question so that more people can easily guess the answer so the question last week was uh, who is the highest run getter in terms of aggregate in 
Ranji Trophy history. So it's a very easy question. And we got a couple of correct answers. So uh, we had uh, our friend Yashwant, who also gave the answers previously, guessing the right answer. And also a new user, DS Pati, who came up with the answer. So the right answer is Vasim Jafar. So congrats to DS Pati and Yashwant for contributing the right answers. And in return, Yashwant had asked us, who is the second highest scorer? So the second highest scorer in Ranji Trophy history aggregate is Amol Mazumdar. And interestingly, if you were to look at the list of runs, uh, there is not a lot of difference between him and Devendra Bandela, who is at three. So between these two, you can see the difference is, is exactly one run. So over a career of 10, 12 years, you can imagine there may have been some you know, ups and downs or you know, some interesting decisions given by umpires. So this, I think, will stand as a very debated or a hot topic because really the difference between the two top second and the third batsmen uh, is one run. So this is something interesting. So uh, yeah, this is the trivia question. So I would, uh, let's say, recommend to all our listeners, if you could uh, stay back, we'll give you a trivia question at the end of this episode in the housekeeping section. So before we look at the cricketing events or the cricketing matches, this uh, episode, uh, I think it makes sense if we were to now look at the burning topic Mm. on hand, which is, uh, well, BCC has written a letter to ICC requesting that uh, its member nations uh, sort of condemn and boycott any country from whose shores terrorism emanates. So this is a very serious topic. And also, I think we can get into uh, some of the side topics like uh, BCCI's pending decision on whether it should play in the World Cup and so on. So, Giri, uh, what do you think about this? Uh, Well, it's right now a hot topic, right? I mean, uh, I think the world is talking about it, especially the cricketing world, the administrative part. Uh, uh-huh. There have also been some reactions to this by some prominent figures like uh, Suryan Gavaskar, um, uh, India coach Ravi Shastri, as well as the captain. Um, mm-hmm. Some interesting points there, especially from uh, Mr. Gavaskar. Um, yeah. So I think one of the points that were raised um, uh, leading up to this uh, letter that PCCI has re- apparently returned to ICC was mm-hmm. that um, one of the options was probably to boycott the World Cup itself. Um, the other thing was India not to play um, against Pakistan in this World Cup mm-hmm. or even asking uh, ICC to ban Pakistan from playing in the World Cup. So there's several topics here. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but uh, um, the other, I mean, I think uh, the, the points which Mr. Gavaskar made is, uh, is also quite interesting because he says it is India who's going to lose out, uh, miss out, basically, if uh-huh. they, if any of these were to be, you know, um, considered. Uh, mm-hmm. Supposing India, you know, boycotted themselves out of World Cup or if they chose not to play in the World Cup, of course, they are one of the favorites. So they will, uh, they will lose a good chance of, uh, you know, get, regaining the World Cup, number one. Number two was if they were to not play against Pakistan, um, they would just it would just be considered as a buy you know pakistan would get uh, two points uh, if india didn't play against them in in the world cup considering it's a round robin format they will play mm-hmm. against each team will play against each other uh, mm-hmm. at least once um, if they'll play again in the semi final or final that's another topic and supposing this india pakistan encounter uh, happened to be in a semi final or a final would india uh, not play then that's uh, a very different topic. Um, exactly. 
but uh, you know if, if you have to consider that uh, india have not been playing against pakistan for at least or about 10 years now i think the last mm-hmm. series was under uh, mr inzamam ul haq's captaincy uh, pakistan was led by him i think mm-hmm. um so india haven't played in a bilateral series they have only played in asia cup and uh, the preceding world cups um, mm-hmm. um and we had a similar situation about 20 years ago uh, when there was an incursion in kargil you know uh, that there was uh, i think there was an even uh, more hot topic uh, mm-hmm. and back then india did play against pakistan in the world cup uh, it was at the same ground i think it was even at uh, old trafford which is where they are uh, you know slated, slated to play uh, in this world cup Uh, mm-hmm. and india came out uh, uh, victorious out of that match but then again you have to consider that they they had similar tensions uh, 20 years ago and then india did play maybe it will happen again i'm not sure it's for not for me to speculate but uh, you have to consider all these points uh, that were put forth by gavaskar um you know, what's your take on this what, what do you have I mean uh, what do you read here i mean how how uh, do you uh, uh, you know um how do you read this whole uh, topic mm-hmm. Look, uh, as you rightly pointed out, quite a lot to unpack here. So if I go top down, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's 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 not a problem. So I think you summarized the situation, and you know I can uh, contribute a couple of small things here and there. So um, in this case, um, first of all, if you were to look at the whole uh, event, so BCCI in its letter has sort of uh, requested ICC to, you know, reconsider that you know member nations should not uh, should also recognize that there is this happening, right? so and internally bcc is deciding what should be india's step as a nation or as a country participating in the world cup what should they do and this has not yet been put forth uh, in front of the icc but at least icc has been alerted that this might be coming so uh, the chief executive of icc shashank manohar also the tournament director for the world cup steven worthy these people have been sort of saying that they have been keeping an eye out on how it, the situation may develop right so mm-hmm. uh, in um, Manohar has said that you know India can inspect the security arrangements if they want to sort of convince themselves that all the necessary due diligence has been followed. This is one thing, right? The other thing, of course, he said that he would put this uh, this letter from India in front of the ICC board members and the members member nations in the next uh, meeting that is 27, right? So while this goes on on the world stage, Gavaskar sort of pointed out a couple of very interesting points. One of the other points. Uh, that he pointed out was that even if india were to take this to a world body like icc that might not be the right world body he said probably un needs to be approached right so in this very sort of long 20 minute interview uh, gavaskar uh, sort of pointed out that you know if icc were to be approached about it icc would probably say this is a bilateral matter and a world body like icc which is a sporting world body might not have much to add right this is something this is one of the mm-hmm. things the other thing he said is indeed india should probably use un uh, right this is one of the other ideas he said you should use the un forum rather than the icc forum if you want to really make this uh, an issue that uh, should be brought to light then the last thing he mm-hmm. did was point out so he sort of vehemently against giving away the points as you said giving a buy why make it any easier was his perspective right giving a buy mm-hmm. then of course um, i think he used this interview as a very nice platform to address his friend mr imran khan who is now the prime minister of pakistan to uh, you know sort of show some initiative imran khan himself has acknowledged in his speech of course that if there is any actionable evidence there can be something done from the pakistan side as well so 
as you said we will have to watch the space carefully and uh, we'll have to see how it develops because when the coach and the captain of the indian cricket team were approached about it which would be inevitable as you can expect they said uh, we will follow the directions of the board and the country's governing body right so they did not have much of a input themselves they of course expressed the condolences of what happened condolences to the people yeah. and the whole suffered but then both said we will follow the lead of our uh, you know the organization bcci in the government of india so uh, that's an interesting thing because in india bcci is not affiliated to the government but nonetheless in these matters i think they take uh, directions from the government so it will it will remain to be seen how it unfolds so i think we'll get more inputs in the upcoming episodes and i think at the end as you say some amount of detente or some amount of you know common sense and sanity might prevail and you rightfully pointed in the, the example of 99 world cup may follow so we'll see how it comes through so that's a very interesting and interesting thing to follow in the coming days so let's keep our eye on it kiri now yeah. if you were to move on to the cricketing events the most important one as far as we are concerned is the test match right between sri lanka and yeah. south africa would you like to take yeah. us to the second test yeah um so um the second test match i think we did a preview of this uh, in our previous episode before it was to start uh-huh. um so this match was um played at uh, uh, port elizabeth uh, and this was expected to be a slowish pitch compared to the other um, high felt pitches uh, because this was also on the coast um mm-hmm. and i think we also predicted there would be some kind of attritional cricket Uh, with the pitch also con- being conducive to spin however uh, what transpired uh, was totally contrary <laughs> to what especially i had predicted because i i had predicted a, at least you know four day match that's what i was thinking of as it turns yeah. out in the end they needed they, they didn't even need a full three days i think they the match was over in uh, seven sessions was it before lunch yes. yeah so it was seven yeah. sessions in the end and mm-hmm. um, Sri Lanka pulled off an unbelievable series triumph here uh, first for any um, asian or a subcontinent team mm-hmm. to uh, you know to win a series in south africa um, so i think it's it's a historic uh, feat no other team has done this from the subcontinent like i said um, mm-hmm. so our uh, you know uh, i cannot help but admire the way they fought back after i had given them no chance after their uh, uh, twin 2s of uh, australia and new zealand uh, new zealand and mm-hmm. australia mm-hmm. um so this is a massive turnaround um and they claimed the series 2-0 i um, i i you know i i had even said they they it would be a draw would be enough for them to win the series but they mm-hmm. win it they, they won the series comfortably 2-0 uh, in the end in seven sessions mm-hmm. uh let's just go through the scores very briefly um so uh so <clears throat> south africa won the toss uh, and decided to bat first um mm-hmm. south african openers uh, have not had such a good series so far i think dean elgar was not successful he got out cheaply uh, but aiden markram looked a lot more fluent than he did in the first match mm-hmm. and he scored a 50 um um uh, up and after him i think uh, uh yeah the other big name here hashim amla unfortunately he got out for a first ball duck uh, mm-hmm. that was, that's i read that's his first ever first ball duck in test cricket that's quite mm-hmm. something 
Um, yeah. So is is he approaching the twilight of his career, or is he already in the twilight of his career? I don't know. Maybe another topic. I guess discussion. so. I guess yeah. I guess he is in the twilight. We can take it up a bit later. Yeah, I think. I think uh, so. Yeah. Let's see. Um, mm, and then they had a middle order collapse until uh, Faf uh, Duplessis and uh, Quinton de Kock put together, um, um, you know, um, about 50, 50 runs partnership, just over 50 runs. Faf mm-hmm. got out for Faf Duplessis. The captain got out for 25 runs. Uh, but uh, like we uh, have come to expect from him, Quinton de Kock scored a very brisk 86 runs from 87 balls, uh, counter-attacking innings. to take mm-hmm. the uh, um, you know to to try to snatch the momentum away from sri lanka and they managed to a large extent extent mm-hmm. um when uh, um when this guy uh, was this guy uh, I, i think when uh, after uh, faf got out there were nobody else i think uh, this debutant uh, vian mulder mm-hmm. uh, he got out for nine runs uh, keshav maharaj was a duck got got out for a duck Uh, and Kahiso Rabada and Quinton de Kock, these two guys put together some sort of a partnership towards the end, which mm-hmm. helped them, in fact, reach 200. Otherwise, they wouldn't even reach 200, to be honest. So when um, I think Maharaj, Keshav Maharaj was out for 157, the score was 157. These two guys put together a partnership, strung together a partnership of um, 60 runs or just less than 60 runs. And then Quinton de Kock mm-hmm. got out. Um, and then the tail followed afterwards i think uh, in the end south africa were all out for 220 runs mm. um bowlers amongst the bowlers vishwa fernando was effective again he picked up three wickets along with uh, kasun rajita mm. also got three wickets um he, even karuna ratna the captain himself with his dibli doglis got a wicket mm-hmm. uh, but surprisingly we'll we'll again speak about him later in the second uh, when when i come to the second innings dhananjay adi silva mm-hmm. got a couple of wickets i think that proved very crucial especially mm-hmm. because um lasit ambuldenia yeah. was injured while trying to field um, a ball off his own uh, bowling uh, his uh, left thumb got injured and he had to be operated uh, on the same day so he, he could not bowl again in the test match he bowled only four and a half hours mm-hmm. sorry five and a half hours and that's it mm-hmm. um so so they were basically a specialist bowler down and then these two guys karuna ratna and dhananjay adi silva filled in for him um so south africa were out for 222 runs sri lanka um uh, i think sri lanka were uh, try, they, they tried to be very positive when they came out to bat and they tried to mm-hmm. score quick runs um the the opening partnership was steady but then uh, when karuna ratna got out on uh, when the score was 25 Uh, they kept losing wickets wickets at regular intervals um i think tirimana when tirimana got out uh, this guy Osh, oshada fernando um and uh, i think kusal mendis was the next man in they they they, they all, uh, especially kusal mendis he had a start he scored 16 runs he couldn't convert that mm-hmm. um and then they had a night watchman coming in uh, um when um, tirimana was out so that was uh, this guy um rachita kasun rachita mm-hmm. and i think he did his job he was there till the next morning um and when mendes got out um basically uh, kusal pereira tried to play a counter attacking innings uh, but he mm-hmm. got out cheaply he got a start but then he got out uh, immediately afterwards dhananjay de silva was looked a bit fluent but then couldn't capitalize until uh, dikwela uh, added some weight 
to this uh, scorecard. He played a quick fire uh, 42 runs um, quite aggressively. And then South Africa in the end managed to score 152, 154 runs. They were all at 154. Uh-huh. Another first innings failure compared to what they had in the first uh, first test. This is what happened to them again. Um, so, yeah, they, they none of their batsmen looked like they wanted to play a longer innings. Mm. Um, so, if we, uh, when South Africa came out to bat uh, in the second innings, again, the openers not doing a good job. The openers not playing long enough to make a difference to this side. Uh, Markram and uh, Elgar got out cheaply, especially Elgar got out again mm-hmm. single figures, for single figures. Uh, Hashim Ambla put up some kind of resistance this time. He played a 32 runs. He, he got out for 32. Um, mm-hmm. Babuma, again, not a success. This time failed again. Um, mm-hmm. But only the captain stood up. Uh, this time he, he made 50 runs. He was not out in the end. All the others, you know, uh, after him, uh, Quinton de Kock, Vian Mulder, Keshav Maharaj, Kahis Orabara, Dale Stein, and Duvan Olivier. All these guys got out in single figures. A couple mm-hmm. of them, even ducks, and South Africa were bowled out for 128 runs. Although they had a lead of, uh, I think, 78 runs after the first innings, they they mm-hmm. were bowled out for 128 runs. So uh, Sri Lanka needed 197 runs for victory in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking at South Africa's second innings batting performance, we also have to look at the bowling. Uh, so the uh, Sri Lankan bowling, there were only four uh-huh. bowlers used. Um, Suranga Lakmal, of course, uh, their main strike bowler. Uh, Vishwa Fernando, Kasun Rajita, and then Dhananjaya De Silva, a part timer who filled in for uh, uh, Lasit uh, Embuldanya. Uh, Suranga Lakmal was, you know, he was very good, very, very good, very consistent. Uh, he picked up four wickets, quite successful. Mm-hmm. Vishwa Fernando got an initial breakthrough uh, when he removed Dean Algar, so he got a wicket. Kasun Rajita, Got a couple of wickets, but Dhananjaya Di Silva, he got three wickets. So he got two wickets in the first innings and three wickets in the second innings. He could easily have been four wickets um, had had it not been a no-ball uh, when he got uh, Faf Tuplessy stumped. But it was a no-ball, uh, a crime for a spinner. Uh, mm-hmm. but, wow. he, you know, but in the end, they, 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 it turned out quite all right for them because the damage was only about 14 or 15 runs um, mm-hmm. towards the end. So it didn't change a lot for them, but you know, uh, but this guy did a terrific job uh, picking up three wickets um, as a part-time spinner. Sri Lankan innings um, began towards the end of second day in the third session. Mm-hmm. Um, Karuna Ratna and Tirumanna played a very steady uh, opening partnership. They got 30 odd runs uh, until mm-hmm. Tirumanna, you know, um, he just. Um, you know, poked at a, a ball outside the off stump. I think it was also a very good ball. It just straightened. He could have left it, let it go. He was leaving mm-hmm. all the balls that were uh, pitched on the same line. But this one, he just poked at it and then he got an edge. Uh, he got out and then Karuna Ratna, uh, you know, followed him a uh, couple of runs, a couple of runs later. Uh, and then they were basically uh, 34 for two. And in uh, and the batsmen who were left out were uh, Oshada Fernando and uh, Kusal Mendis. They played out mm-hmm. till the end of the day, thankfully for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when 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 they came back on the third morning, in the first session, I think this is where the whole uh, series was decided, or the, the whole match was decided. Basically, these two guys stuck it out for the first hour, like 
what is expected from a top order batsman so these two guys really played well in the first uh, first over and then mm-hmm. when they sri lanka did not lose any wickets after the first over they, that, that was basically it so uh, these two guys took complete control um uh, oshada fernando scored 75 runs and uh, kusal mendis scored 84 runs both of them not out till the end carried sri lanka safely uh, safely to uh, through to that score of 197 um successful chase i think the bowlers were a bit down uh, if you look at them uh, if you looked at how they were bowling they were bowling a lot of full pitch deliveries and these two guys were playing uh, you know they were just playing through the line they were not trying to play across they were just playing mm-hmm. through the line it was uh, they just showed us that it was such a good batting uh, surface in the end so if the batsman batsman had stayed long enough they would have been able to capitalize uh, i think um, Quinton de Kock showed that in the first innings, also Markram, mm-hmm. and these two guys uh, just highlighted that again. Um, uh, so uh, Kusal Mendis for his 84 runs was awarded the player of the match, and uh, uh-huh. Kusal Pereira for his historical innings. You know, I think one of the best ever innings in the second innings uh, from the first match, he was awarded the player of the series, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Sri Lanka in the end won the series 2-0. um which is very good advertisement for test cricket so south africa beaten at home by mm-hmm. a side which is like four or five uh, spots down the order in the test uh, test yes. rankings i think south africa is number 2 and sri lanka must be 6 or 7 so very good performance from sri lanka in the end amazing and uh, hats off to them aha uh-huh, aha uh-huh. so well i mean if i were to look at a couple of analysis points um in this case uh well uh, look i think it stands out very clearly uh, that uh, you know the south african bowlers were outbowled by their sri lankan counterparts right through this series mm-hmm. it comes out mm-hmm. as quite a surprise if you look at the top 3 run scorers there are two south africans mm-hmm. there so quinton de kock and uh, faf duplessis both are in the top 3 but the highest is pereira kusal pereira who was then nominated as man of the series right Uh, but he's yeah. not very far ahead of either of these so it's it was overall a low scoring series but if you look at the top 3 run uh, wicket takers it's two newbies from sri lanka fernando and rajita who are the top two and then there's rabada who has eight right this is a very crucial point that's point number one but then uh, if you look at just this test itself i think you highlighted it perfectly dhananjaya de silva has taken five wickets in this test and uh, Yeah, as you were telling me off the air, he he bowls these non-turning off breaks, arm balls, yeah. <laughs> bunch of arm balls, right? So it's very interesting that Sri Lanka clearly outbowled South Africa, and then it was a very small difference in the batting efforts on both sides. So uh, as you pointed out rightly, uh, Quinton de Kock played a very good innings in the first, uh, you know, first innings for South Africa. It was a runner ball, 86 nearly, right? Mm. And then Markram was able to play a more um, uh traditional test innings where he had a 52 to strike rate but really nobody even tried to grind out you know this is where uh, somebody needed to play an innings like pujara did in mcg against australia if you remember where uh, they ground down two days and all they had were 450 but then you realized that was more than enough to make a comfortable victory in that test yeah. correct so somebody needed to show that sort of application on this pitch this pitch was not that difficult to bat there were no balls that were keeping low or there were no balls that were suddenly shooting up of a length or nothing like that if you remember our discussion during england and yeah. uh, west indies series not, nothing like that it was a yeah. steady pitch this is the first thing i understood there was some amount of lateral movement throughout which is which means it's a good 
it gives you a good you know contest but then the batsman did not show the application and then uh, vian mulder who made uh, a debut in the place of uh, vernon philander had a very quiet outing so he had two failures with the bat and he took one wicket with the ball but he hardly bowled seven overs right this was an interesting thing they did not choose to use much of him as a bowling all rounder or a all rounder who could bowl a few overs he was not used that way again when you look at the spinners you see the same thing keshav maharaj only bowled two overs in the first innings Yeah. and in the second innings again by the time he bowled he's only bowled six and a half overs but even by the time he was introduced the new uh, the two batsmen were already set on the mm. third morning so mm. uh, if you were to go through the um, sri lankan first innings it was it was a disaster you know the opener sort of started well you know for once they had kept out almost 10 overs and without a wicket falling um, i was thinking okay this this could shape up into something but then they fell in a heap only niroshan yeah. dikwala sort of counter attack a little again the same thing if you look at the top four of sri lankan batting order they all had starts oshada uh, failed oshada fernando but uh, in the top six there were four 20s or four equivalents of 20s that meant yeah. there were some starts nobody converted it dikwala counter attack they got to only 154 even at this stage with a 68 run lead south africa looked comfortable so then i uh, as a cricket uh, enthusiast i was thinking now sanity will be restored the insanity is over now south africa will just bat and bat for two days and push sri lanka out of the game <laughs> and they'll take the game mm-hmm. again i got into a couple of meetings or whatever and then i could not really follow it a couple of hours later you tell me did you see the score i'm like what happened and then i look at the score i can't believe it south africa hardly lasted 45 overs in their most probably yeah. the most crucial innings of the series yeah. and it it is no uh, no different from sri lanka who had lasted not even 40 overs but then sri lanka always scored at a slightly higher rate i think so that meant they were a little ahead but now hashim amla was sort of looking to looking in a decent touch in the second innings but i think he got out at a very crucial time and then uh, he sort sort of better down and I, we were, one could have hoped he could go on make a 100 or an 18 and sort of give that uh, basis for south africa to build on but then you can clearly identify nothing happened so i would if you were to look at this entire series it was a complete it was a complete uh, loss for south africa because of their top order nobody in the top four even made a 50 only makram once he made a 60 but yeah. that's nothing dean elgar had no contributions to speak of ashim amla had no major contributions to speak of temba bauma who batted at four did not do much fab the placid pinned a cock who batted in the middle and the lower middle order sort of had all the runs you know when you bat at five and six you are not sort of always making the most runs in the 11 yeah. that that's how it is mm-hmm. unfortunately never ha- and always south africa has a sting in the tail this is always seen this was the other thing that was missing you know somehow the top order gets them to 150 the lower order takes them to 300 and that matters i don't think south africa ca- crossed 300 after the first innings of the first test they never crossed 300 that was terrible again that was something that was quite quite visible you know and in spite of all this we can say all of these things 197 was still sort of a fighting total right yeah. you know 197 is is easily the second highest total of the match and mm-hmm. sri lanka have hardly made 150 i really like the attitude of the sri lankan batsmen in the second innings right they knew if they went into the shell that was going to be too dangerous for them so uh, the two openers played very steadily they had scored about 30 in the first you know first 10 overs already and when they were dismissed back to back but then it has to be appreciated that oshada fernando and kusal mendes never went into their shell right through their approach so it was a match winning partnership of more than let's say 150 but they never went into their shell 
they kept attacking they kept looking for scoring opportunities and south africa are the culprits for giving them those scoring opportunities dale stein had a very quiet test series overall right rabada did his bit and duane olivier was very effective in patches duane olivier also took four wickets this match kagiso rabada took uh, you know five wickets this match so by themselves they were not very bad but then stein was sort of missing in there the leader of the attack so to say with this experience was sort of missing that's one thing the other thing again the lack of usage of the spinner this came out very drastically where keshav maharaj was not used at the right times or you know you could say he was not as effective of course but then it also is about giving him the right sort of fields and letting him bowl in the right period that was never seen right they are fast people see the batsmen stood up and got counted but fast people see the captain was nowhere to be seen that was very weird to me and the worst thing was on the third morning uh, you know worst thing from a south african perspective when you started you had to say in this half an hour we make these big throws otherwise the test is gone you didn't see that so uh, so sri lanka kept scoring very positively and they took a, took the match away and in the last already with 70 80 runs you could see the shoulders drop from south africa there was no fight left in them and it was they were just going through the motions and sri lanka took it away from them so real kudos to sri lanka first of all uh, they have achieved history historic victory here they've taken the second test they have been the first asian team you already highlighted this but also look at the number of players they kept losing so they lost their fast bowlers again they lost a spinner this test they were without their top you know two batsmen in the test team matthews and chandimal still look at look at the look at the way they played and maybe this is the blueprint for sri lanka going forward you know it's fine it's not about dropping the most experienced players but playing in the spirit they showed the sri lankan spirit of playing and of course you know kusal mendes he was due he was really not performing well after that miraculous second innings 100 in new zealand where they got a draw he was not doing much right so if you look at it yeah. i think he he finally came good he scored a unbeaten 84 and what i saw of shada fernando i really liked he's a bit dominant uh, bottom hand player that is more into the leg side but what i saw was he was able to judge which balls to attack and which to block that's Absolutely. the key hallmark of a good test player isn't it he showed them and also both his highest scores are in the second innings of a match that bodes well really right so uh, that means this guy is in for the fight you know there are agenda setting batsmen and there are batsmen who reserve their best for the fight like graham smith or kusal mendes we already discussed yeah. this in the previous episode you know what uh, this, you know what yeah. uh, oshada fernando was especially very good playing the short ball uh, from uh, duan olivier or uh, this guy kahis or abara they bowled a lot of bounces and he was able to hook them or pull them quite nicely he was always trying to keep them on the ground you know not mm-hmm. trying to hit a six of all those short pitch deliveries he was very good uh, uh, you know off his back foot pulling or hooking yes yeah. also kusal parera showed this in the first test in that amazing innings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, i think the sri lankan batsmen were never afraid of the short pitch bowling well somebody who bats in the lower middle order or somebody in the tail was always going to be looking very uncomfortable and that was fine but none of the top order batsmen were really afraid of the short ball this is something i think we should also give credit to the sri lankan batsmen usually you expect a subcontinent team going to south africa to be a bit concerned about the short pitch bowling and to be frank with you both rabada and duane olivier tested the sri lankan batsmen quite a lot right through these tests mm. and they came out on top with mm. the short pitch stuff i mean right mm-hmm. so they have to they have to be given the credit there right mm-hmm. that was fantastic so overall it's a fantastic result for tests uh, if you look at test cricket overall the last 5 to 6 months have been very good mm-hmm. so with new zealand first of all winning in uae against pakistan then yeah. you saw india winning in australia away both of these were away new zealand and yeah. india then yeah. 
you know, England previously had already won Sri Lanka away, right? Then West Indies sort of retaining their uh, or winning the Frank Warhol Trophy for the first time at home. And then uh, this Sri Lankan victory, the, the last sequence of test series have been fantastic. It shows very much the test series and test cricket is really not dying, but it's probably getting a real rejuvenation with all the fast bowling, the far good pitches, the faster scoring rates. You know, it's probably getting a rejuvenation, a second or the third win. You know, it shows that it can persist. And still, even people like Chris Gale, uh, they acknowledge. You know, in his interview, Chris Gale said people should try test cricket. You know, Chris Gale is now a you know a bounty hunter who plays in T20 tournaments. You may call him, but he this guy had played a hundred tests and has triple hundreds to his name. So. He has played 100 tests. So he did also acknowledge that test cricket is still the premier format. And people from that region should not give up on that. Right? Mm-hmm. All this is very, very encouraging as a test match yeah. fan. Yeah, I do think so. And a couple of other points I wanted to mention here uh, regarding this series, South Africa and uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, uh-huh. You know, because of these uh, changes that keep coming in the Sri Lankan squad, mm-hmm. uh, maybe this rotation is actually helping them. Uh, the guys who come in have more energy and are also also have a lot of hunger, you know, to for success. Uh, that probably is propelling them forward. Somebody like Vishwa Fernando or uh, who is the other guy who came in? Kasun Rajita, for Rajita. example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these guys have a point to prove. You know, they have been given a chance to prove themselves. I think um, Raj, Kasun Rajita already had his debut, and Vishwa Fernando, uh, Oshada Fernando, this guy also, mm-hmm. he, he made his debut this series. So. These guys mm-hmm. had a lot to prove. Um, somebody like uh, Angela Matthews, who will come back in, uh, also mm-hmm. Chandimal. Uh, mm-hmm. So because of this competition within the squad, I think uh, it augurs well for them. The so, uh, South Africa, sorry, uh, Sri Lanka will also have a good bench strength when those guys come mm-hmm. back, the real, uh, the stalwarts. Um, the other point here is uh, South Africa were probably mentally tired. I think they were gone uh, after the first test match. They had a lot, they, they had to, they had a lot to uh, swallow, basically. Mm-hmm, and after mm-hmm. that, they they looked quite spent on the, on the field, especially uh, when they came out to bat in the second innings, they didn't show any application. Uh, they were gone. I think they just wanted to end the summer and then go, go on to other things like uh, T20 or one-day matches, uh, mm-hmm. you know, leading up to the World Cup. That's uh, the other thing. Um, and we, we saw guys like uh, Duan Olivier, especially. He was so good against Pakistan, uh, bowling mm-hmm. that uh, test match length we spoke about uh, in our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, he turned out to be not so effective in this series uh, against uh, Sri Lanka. And mm-hmm. then, um, if we were to draw a comparison between how Pakistan played uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks before uh, Sri Lanka started their series and how um, Sri Lanka played, if you draw a comparison between these two sides, um, I think Pakistan's skill level was quite high. Uh, the, the bowlers are more skilled than these guys like mm-hmm. Suranga Lakman, who, who bows in a good nagging uh, line and length is very consistent. You have to uh, agree on that. But Pakistan is has seemed to have more skill. Uh, they have a good uh, lineup on paper for sure. Mm-hmm, but look mm-hmm. at what Sri Lanka have on the, the, their squad on paper. And the, look at those names. No, they have some guys like uh, Kusal Mendes or Kusal Pereira who stand mm-hmm, out. But mm-hmm. apart from that, they don't have big match players uh, who who have made an you know they don't have big superheroes kind of. Um, so Sri Lanka's. Uh, Effort has been a team effort, I think, and they have done so well because they played together as a team. And Pakistan may have played well in patches um, comparatively, uh, but uh, I think uh, if you 
yeah, like I said, if you compare these two, uh, you see the difference of a mm-hmm. team gelling and playing as a team and a team playing with a bunch of players who are good individually with, in terms of skills and uh, so on. Um, yeah, so, so South African summer ends with a defeat for them uh, mm-hmm. against, uh, against not such a strong uh, Sri Lankan lineup when this began, but I think they finish well, they finish very strongly. What what is coming up next uh, for? Uh, hmm? In terms of tests, I think South Africa will be touring India after the World Cup. Yeah, but uh, before that, I think Sri Lanka will uh, play against uh, South Africa in T20s, right? T20s or yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Both. So yeah. there will be some uh, short format cricket, and mm. so rightfully, if I may just quickly revisit a couple of things you said. Mm. I think you pointed out rightly, and you hit a couple of things on the head right away, but because. I think there was a huge chasm between the two touring teams, Pakistan and uh, Sri Lanka. And you're right. The way Sri Lankan batsmen were unafraid of the short ball was a very key thing. They did not care about reputations, as you say. You know, they just did their work. That's one point. The other point, I think if you look at South African top order, they, I think they really need a revamp. And I think Hashim Amla, he's a legend of the game, but he may have to look deep within himself and see where he's going in terms of tests, right? Because if they can't take this batting or this misfiring batting order to India, they'll be they'll not be able to perform well, and they'll also probably have to find another spinner who can support Keshav Maharaj in on the dust bowls of India, right? So something for them when they are touring again in tests. Uh, so if you look at takeaways from the two teams, I think Sri Lanka we already discussed all the plus points, right? Mm-hmm. Only thing that remains is of course I think we should not forget Suranagalakmal's contribution. Yeah. So I think he's he led the bowlers very admirably, even though he was not always taking the wickets. He did get five fours, right? We spoke about it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. he did also sort of lead this attack well, and a lot of kudos to Shaw Fernando and So that stock when it comes to fast bowling looks promising, and the way they handled the short bowling loop was very good. But for South Africa, it's a real bother because their bowlers look completely toothless and idealless. And yeah. Stein probably yes, he had an off series, you could say. And I don't think he's a spent force. So we'll have to see how he performs in the upcoming days. Because now the entire focus of all of the teams will switch towards the World Cup and the shorter format. This will be put on the shelf. But when they take it back, I think they have to revisit some of these really pain points. Right? Mm-hmm. This is one point. So yeah. when it comes to the you know the tour program, I'm just looking at the future tour program. And you're right, South Africa, I think they have a couple of uh, one-dayers, five one-dayers and three T20s against Sri Lanka. Yeah. And uh, these are the last preparatory matches for both teams, right? So then after that, the next engagement for both of these teams are the, is the World Cup. So they'll want to use these uh, remaining eight matches very carefully so that they can fine-tune the final uh, points for the shorter format, right? Mm-hmm. This is the upcoming things. Apart from this, there's nothing else. And then uh, I think we covered most of the points of the series, uh, Giri. So yeah, now... <laughs> Of course, no, it's it's bound to come out because we like test cricket and this was an engaging test match series. So yeah, we will get into the details normal, I expect. So now, if you were to look at the other uh, cricket, I think let's quickly look through the uh, one-day series that are in progress. So to begin with, I think we can look through the West Indies versus uh, England one-day series, right? Mm-hmm. So if I were to quickly summarize the two matches, so the series stands one-all currently. So there have been two one-dayers. First one-day in uh, well, both of them were in Bridgetown. So the first one that happened on 20th February, which was a very high-scoring uh, victory for England. And then the second one was uh, for a, you know, sort of a very attritional match where West Indies made 289, but they were able to defend it. 
So if you were to look at uh, both the matches in a little bit of detail, now I'm going to the first one. So in the first one, West Indies uh, chose to bat first and they put up a huge 360 uh, on the back of uh, Universe boss, Chris Gale, <laughs> was making a comeback into the team, scoring 135. You know, nearly run a ball 135, but he hit 12 sixes and lost six balls. In this <laughs> crazy guy, crazy, crazy. It was almost like, you know, somebody was saying on a community team, it's like he's a lion that's sleeping. Like he keeps blocking. And somebody pokes him and he just wakes up, hit a six. Then the next uh, 10 minutes, he's again asleep. Then somebody pokes him, he gets up, he hits another six. And I think he balanced the, the attack and the defense very well. He was not able to get much of the strike rotated because, you know, somebody pointed out out of the 129 balls he played, he was only able to score off about 69 of them. So 60 dots. That's very high percentage. But because of the six hitting, he was able to keep up with the strike rate. But he was very well supported by Shai Hope, who made 64. Uh, Campbell started off well. Campbell is debuting in the series. John Campbell from the tests, if you remember. He yeah. made 30. And then uh, Bravo hit a 40. And then Hetmeyer hit a 20. He was supported right through. Nurse hit a 25 in the end. So 360, you could imagine, was a very tall total. Right? For example, Moin Ali went for 85 runs in his 10, 10 uh, over spell. But Ben Stokes did a fantastic job. He, he In his 8 overs, he took 3 wickets for just 37 runs. Him and Adil Rashid finished off. And I think a lot of kudos need to be given to these two because they were able to hold the uh, West Indian innings pack. At some point in time, even 400 looked a possibility. But they kept them to 360. And you know what a beast this England one-day team is. They yeah. came out firing, right? Jason Roy uh, made 123 and Root 102. And they comfortably won the match. Comfortably, it's as if they were chasing, you know, not even 300. So, Bairstow gave a good support to Roy at the beginning. But even though Bairstow was dismissed, I think Roy and Root together... They added uh, comfortably quite a lot of runs, like more than 100, but at a stunning strike rate. The, uh, the run rate never dipped under 8 until these two were batting together. So, And we are talking up to the 25th, 26th over, they were still able to comfortably score above a run rate of 8. That meant the rest of the batsmen had nothing to worry. So once Roy got out for 123, Joe Root uh, continued batting with uh, the captain, Morgan, who hit a 65. Right? And I'm not referring to the rum. I think uh, the England captain, Ian Oyen Morgan, I meant in this case. So, he hit a 65, of course. And then, in the end, Stokes and Butler just finished it off. It was, they still had Moin Ali and Vokes in the hut, you know, and Plunkett. So, it was interesting. So, for West Indies, Bishu was bowling well, but he could not bowl enough good balls together. He always considered a boundary each over. And then, Brathwaite was taken apart for runs. Holder himself was taken apart for runs. None of the West Indian bowlers showed any amount of control on that pitch. It was a good batting pitch, no one, no doubt. But they dropped also five or six catches. I think they dropped uh, Roy twice and Root three times. And all of these were very costly. So I think it was a com- collective uh, effort on the field that let West Indian down. West Indies down. And it, uh, they lost the match comfortably. But in the second match, they made a couple of changes to the eleven. Right For the second match, they brought back in... Um, the uh, you know the Jamaican soldier Sheldon Cottrell, and he was the difference between the teams. You could say we'll see, we'll look at it because while batting again, England won the toss, but they asked between the West Indies to bat first, hoping a repeat of the events. It sort of went that way to script. Uh, Gale this time made a fifty, and he sort of got out out of sixty-three balls. And then Campbell made twenty-three, Hope made thirty-three, Bravo made a twenty-five. So it was sort of a middling sort of an innings. There were not there was not enough momentum until Shimron Hetmyer stood up. And he made 104 out of just 83 balls. Fantastic ball striking again. You know, he sh- he's, this guy really shows that, un, you know, uninhibited scoring that you saw in Lawrence Rowe, 
or Garfield Sobers in those Esther years. In fact, some of his shots through the offside reminds me of Garfield Sobers. If you look at the That's uh, quite a know, comparison, the old, <laughs> Well, only the some of the shots through the offside, but okay, nonetheless, not everything. Hmm. no, no, no. I think he has a very, very long way to go. If you remember hmm. Garfield Sobers in his second test innings made 365. So I mean, you have to keep that in mind, right? Okay. But okay. this guy has has that sort of free free flowing hitting through the off. Hmm. He's, uninhibited hitting you see in the Caribbean. He has that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And then he was supported by Carlos Braffett and Nurse who sort of took the total to 289. But then based on what was achieved in the first match, it, you would think this would not be trouble, troubling England but that's where Cotwell came in. He took out both the openers for literally no score and then England were really, really. At, when they lost Joe Root at 60 to Shane Thomas they were 60 for 3. So you know this was not going to be that sort of a script. You clearly saw this. Morgan made 70 and Ben Stokes 79 and they did their bit. And Josh Butler made a 34, but they couldn't finish the match off. Again, uh, first of all, he took a couple of wickets at the top of the order and then he came back to finish the tail. And uh, he took 5-4, Cottrell. And uh, of course, you always remark on his celebration, right, Kitty? On his uh, soldier celebration. <laughs> salute. I love it. Uh, very, very colorful. But people from that region have always been very colorful, right? If you look at celebrations all the way down the order, I mean, down the years, I might say. So, Curtly Ambrose always had a very interesting celebration, if you remember. The big uh, uh, raising of the wrist and jiggling of the wrist. The, you know, the rolling of the wrist on top of his head, the giant Ambrose, right? From there to, you know, some very weird ones even. I think I remember there was a spinner from West Indies. I can't remember his name, but he was a spinner. And he used to, if he ever got a batsman stumped out he could he used to take out his uh, shoe and hold it to his ear and say hello hello as if he's making a prank call to the batsman you know some very interesting celebrations celebrations from that region also i think off you were pointing out some celebrations from pollard right something he was writing yeah they come up with their celebrations but of course they that is always after a wicket so there's something to celebrate right mm-hmm. uh holder took three wickets as well supporting cotton and ocean thomas sort of he took one wicket, but he looked more threatening this match than the first one. Yeah, I think yeah. Ocean Thomas has a way to go before he can take a spot in the Test match team or even become a completely finished product. But man, what a bowler! Right? Yeah, he bowls uh, high a very heavy ball. Yeah, high and a very heavy ball. So I think it, it's it's one of those rare bowlers. He's not like Brittley. Brittley used to bowl well into the 90s, but he he won't look that threatening. This guy looks threatening, man. Like I'm. He looks like one of those bowlers you need to be afraid of as a batsman, right? Mm. Uh, Carlos Brathwaite Carlos had a couple of very okay-okay performances, neither with the bat nor the ball. So, he may be replaced in the coming matches. But this was a quick summary of the two one-dayers. Do you have anything to add there, Giri? Um, yeah, just looking at the first one-day match, uh, uh-huh. 360 runs were scored on both sides. So, mm-hmm. more than 550, no, how much? More than 650 <laughs> <laughs> runs yeah, yeah. in a match. I was just thinking this was such a flat pitch. Uh, maybe, you know, they, they, I think the bowlers had a very bad day. Uh, mm-hmm. Or the the bowlers had nothing in it, basically. It was such a flat pitch. You might as well replace bowlers with bowling machines, you know. <laughs> I think uh, being a bowler is not a good, uh, is, is not a... It's a thankless task. It's a, yeah, it's task. a thankless, ta- thankless task as well as uh, it's not such an honorable profession anymore with these uh, in these uh, limited over uh, matches, be, be it uh, one days or uh, T20s, especially T20s. If you play that in, uh, if you play a T20 match like India will play Australia uh, in a few days, 
in uh-huh. Bangalore. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one of the smaller grounds and a flat pitch. You can imagine uh, such a difficult task to be a bowler. Um, um, in the in second match, uh, it was a very you, good you contest. Go, I watched this uh, uh, England innings unravel itself uh, mm-hmm. from the 25th over or so. I think they were very comfortable. They were mm-hmm. chasing quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, when this guy, uh, who was this guy? Uh, I think Butler got out at the wrong moment. And mm-hmm. then they sort of had a small hiccup there uh, when Butler got out. Was it Butler or Stokes? I think it was Stokes, yeah. When Stokes, Stokes and Butler were batting, they needed some 60 runs or 62 runs from 61 balls, something like that. So it was almost Indeed. run a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Ben Stokes got out, uh, they they couldn't gain momentum again. I think the West Indian bowlers bowled really well, especially uh, Lieutenant Cottrell. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, he bowled really well uh, towards the end. Um, uh, I think that was the main difference there. If Ben Stokes had stayed longer, uh, England would have had the match. And when these Absolutely. guys like Moin Ali and uh, Adil Rashid, they were trying to make some quick runs, it couldn't. They, they couldn't make anything out of it. It was very difficult for them. West Indian bowlers mm-hmm. were very good towards the end. Mm-hmm. And Carlos Brathwaite, uh, he you know he's been playing in a lot of franchises, uh, T20 franchises all over the world. So he's quite good uh, in the depth. So he bowls good, uh, uh, you know, he bowls intelligently basically in the depth. I see. I see. So that, I see. that's why I think he was brought in late towards the end, and mm-hmm. he eventually finished the match for them. I think when uh, Liam right. Plunkett was uh, for holdout. But so mm-hmm. he has his role in the team. So he's not just. Uh, he will not bowl uh, in the beginning overs, but towards the end. I think that's his role. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it it bodes well for the next match. Um, so one all, three more matches to be played in this series. Uh, look forward yes. to the next one. Yeah. You know, just a couple of points there. I think uh, you you said you know bowler bowling was a thankless task, and I I mentioned something that can be a bit politically non-correct or incorrect. You know. Go so. ahead. Uh, I said bowling was a very working class task. Well, I mean, if you look at it historically, all the way back to the origins of cricket, you know, the the people who had the money were always batsmen. The people who were who didn't have the money were the people who were fielding and running after the ball or bowling the ball, mm-hmm. right? So it was gentlemen versus players, and gentlemen were always sort of the nobility or the gentility and yeah. the landowning people, and the the people who worked in their farms or the people who worked for them were the bowlers and the fielders. Mm-hmm. This is how cricket started. It unfortunately still remains the same, I think. Bowlers <laughs> are still the second-class citizens. Look, it it is a, it is like that for a it's like that for a reason, of course. But finding the balance is the main thing because if the bowling gets too heavy, you saw what happened in the tests between South Africa and uh, Sri Lanka, where the batsmen were not effective. It is very thrilling, but um, you know, it's it's still a bit. Uh, uh, it becomes very one-sided. So, yeah, but you know, as this, you know, I think the batsmen also need to be tested. Their skills need to be sure. tested. It's not sure. just boundary hitting or six hitting. They also need to show they have a good defense. So you need good bowling pitches. I think the balance it's very difficult to achieve. Mm-hmm. But I would rather have a three-day test match than a five-day match where they just play two innings or three innings and it uh, plays out and they play out or draw right. out of it. No, I think you made this point in both these tests. I think also mm-hmm. on Twitter you made them, and I agree with you totally. So, yeah. when it comes to one-dayers, though, I think uh, a commentator was mentioning it on air. I think it might have been Ian Bishop. That, you know, West Indies got the composition of the pitch wrong. So, mm-hmm. also in the, you know, the Test Match Special Podcast afterwards, Tino Best echoed the same sentiment. I think they may have made an error in the way they prepared the pitches. They went for the very sort of flat one-day, good, uh, you know, prototypical one-day wicket where scoring should be high, scoring rate should be high. 
I think that was they played into England's hands because this England batting team is a beast, an absolute beast. So if you want to keep them down, you have to empower the bowlers. And the bowlers showed it in the tests. Kimar Roach and Shannon Gibbard did. And Holder himself, right? So I think they need to empower. Now that the series is moving on to different islands, different locations, I think they have learned their lesson. So fourth and the fifth matches and even the third match might be a slightly different, lower scoring, more interesting affair. Let me put it I hope so. Mm-hmm. So, now, uh, if you were to quickly run through the remaining uh, matches, so there was a uh, one remaining one day between uh, New Zealand and Bangladesh. So, this was the third of the series and we had already covered the first two in the previous episode. This was uh, New Zealand at one. With a comfortable victory. So, just a uh, mention on that. So, uh, outside of that, there is a very interesting T20 series going on between Ireland and Afghanistan. And now the series is 2-0. Afghanistan have taken it. But it was a fantastic match. Both these matches were very good. Especially the second one. The first one was a low-scoring thriller. The second one, Afghanistan, by the end of the first inning, they had put them uh, sort of the issue completely out of uh, Ireland's hands. So in the first match, it was I said it was low-scoring thriller. Because uh, while batting first, Ireland were very... Um, you know, sort of uh, stuck. They couldn't uh, sort of score a lot of runs. They only made 132. But when they bowled, they sort of came back strongly and Afghanistan were in trouble, right? They were 5 for 50 and with not a lot of overs left. But then Mohammad Nabi and uh, Najibullah Sadran showed how much evolved this Afghanistan team is in terms of skills, core skills. Mm -hmm. And they comfortably wrapped Mm -hmm. up the match with no other wicket loss. So that was how the first match panned out. But in the second match, when Afghanistan got a chance to bat first, man, they went completely berserk. They scored 278 runs in 20 overs. I think this is comfortably the highest T20 total. So I'm going to get into the number of records that were broken. Yes, a bunch of records were broken in that one match. So I'll just get into it shortly. But, uh, you know, batting first, uh, Hazratullah Zazai scored 162 out of just 62 balls. He hit 16 sixes. So they're playing in Dehradun. That's their home because uh, no teams are willing to tour Afghanistan. But uh, they play there and it's not a very small boundary. He hit 16 sixes there, right? And then um, Usman Ghani supported him so well. By the time the first partnership ended, the score was 236 in the 17th over, in the 18th over. Wow. So uh, they like literally butchered the bowling. There was nothing to be there. Uh, Ireland tried, I think, eight bowlers. And <laughs> nobody, nobody except Boyd Rankin had a single digit economy rate. And Boyd Rankin's economy rate was eight and three quarters. Right? This is how dominant the Afghani batsmen were. So they might have asked is, uh, the umpire to bowl, you know. <laughs> could have been an option. I mean, that, that might have helped possibly. Right? Because uh, if you look at this, even before the first half, the match was sort of finished. But kudos to Ireland, they came out fighting. Paul Sterling scored 91 and then Kevin O'Brien 37 and they came to 194 chasing uh, this total and it was a very good score 194 but compared to what was required they comfortably lost by more than 80 runs you know so first of all Hazratullah Zazai you know I told you the number of records that were broken if you see this is the highest T20 score ever mm-hmm. right it's the most number of sixes in a T20 innings right then he, this is a um, 44 ball T20 100 Right, okay. and uh, if you look at the number of records uh, that have been broken, uh, for example, all of these they already did, had the highest score. Now they have the 
highest individual score they have the fastest uh, equal 100 right and in spite of all this when it came to bowling rashid khan took 4425 <laughs> Mm-hmm. right this guy shows he's still the most effective short format bowler there is yeah. right he uses all his skills from all the uh, t20 league players around the world fantastic overall series so afghanistan shows how far ahead they are when it comes to short format i'm very curious later this year they play each other in a test i'm very curious how the test is going to go because ireland in their test debut had shown they were very good they took pakistan to four days and they stretched the match to the limit where afghanistan were rolled out under in two or two days right they were rolled over in two days by india yeah. so we'll have to see if afghanistan is able to translate this sort of mindset right uh, they say shehwag only played one one form of batting maybe they need somebody like hasratullah zazai or usman ghani to play the same thing even in a test it doesn't matter right yeah. 162 is 162 no matter where you score it so just a, just a thought right but of course uh, in the longer format the real skills will come out we'll we'll have to see how that goes just a small thing now another quick uh, quick uh, match to cover was the india versus uh, england women's tour that's ongoing so there's a one day that just finished right uh, so this match was played on the 22nd and it was played uh, uh, in uh, mumbai and here so india batting first scored only 202 it was a very tight match this one right so india batting first they only scored 202 and they suffered sort of a collapse So Mithali Raj made 44, and Jamaima Rodriguez and Mandana, as usual, provided a strong start. But there was nobody in the middle order to capitalize. India only could make 202. But when England batted, they were looking very comfortable. They were looking in a comfortable position to chase the with Heather Knight, the captain, and uh, Natalie Sky, uh, Natalie Siver. They were able to sort of you know take the scoring comfortably to 111 for three. So chasing 202 with uh, more than 20 overs left, you thought the match was wrapped up. But then Indian spinners came back strongly. So Ekta Bish took four wickets for 25, and uh, Deepthi Sharma took two for 33. And between them, they sort of caused this panic, which we always talk of, and uh, nobody could really support. Once uh, Natalie Siver was dismissed for 44, Heather Knight held one end, but she was not at all supported. And in a matter of matter of a couple of hours, they were rolled over, and they were all out for 136. So they the collapse was seven for 25. So that was a rapid collapse. So that's just something to highlight in this match. right so these were all sort of all the matches we wanted to discuss and uh, this is the number of let's say match matches uh, that we wanted to highlight but if you were to look at uh, this series for indian women and england women i think it's very crucial for india that they try to win this series comfortably because first of all historically england women have never won a one day series in india so they indian women will want to continue this dominance because uh, considering india does not play any bilateral cricket against pakistan there is a scheduled tour that's supposed to happen between the two women uh, women's team and if that, that doesn't happen i think india can use these points because in the in the in the women's cricket every team has to qualify for the upcoming world cup so they already have this cycle where every match that is played between the two world cups count and only based on that all the teams need to qualify so because of this i think it's very crucial that uh, it becomes a points equation right mm-hmm. now if you were to do a quick preview of tomorrow's upcoming match india versus australia t20 did you read that pandya is injured yeah i just read that he was injured and uh, jadeja has been included in his place uh, Indeed. so it's it's not good uh, uh, for the preparation uh, world cup preparation for india does he That's come back for the odi or is it just the uh, t20s we don't know that? we don't know i think he's injured his injury might take a bit longer to heal I don't know if you heard in a couple of other podcasts in one tip one hand podcast 
right mm-hmm. so they were joking about it it looks like pandya did some instagram shoot with uh, where he was showing his gym gym skills so he was doing some deadlifts so they were joking whether he injured his back doing that or something but i don't think so it's that but mm-hmm. it looks like a hamstring issue but anyway outside of the jokes you are right it's sort of a little bit of a you know blow for india when it comes to that preparations but they have done a couple of interesting things in india here they have brought in mayank markande and siddharth kaul into the squad mm-hmm. we don't know whether he'll play because rahul is there pant is there also dinesh karthik is still a part of the t20 squad right mm. so because of this mm. so yeah. now um, you know india will get a bit more chance to play around with the format so india is uh, a team that's speaking we saw it in new zealand the shorter format team but i think australia have a lot more questions to answer they brought back some of the longer format specialists like usman khwaja into the team right and of course glen maxwell will always be waiting for an opportunity to prove and somebody like stoinis for example stoinis exactly stoinis uh, was looking in fantastic touch right through the bbl right, right. yeah or even in the final i think so yeah uh, it will be very interesting how it goes so just just a quick preview uh, we'll see in one of the upcoming episodes i think we'll get a chance to talk about this match right yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah. sure uh, you are mentioning something offline about abd villiers and his uh, yeah because you mentioned uh, hardik pandya uh, he uh-huh. has an injury in his back Uh, I I just happened to you know have a um, I was watching this uh, PSL game between um, Quetta Quetta Gladiators against uh, I think it was Lahore Lahore Calendars uh-huh. uh-huh. Lahore Calendars captain is uh, AB Devilliers uh, AB Devilliers uh-huh. was running back uh, to you know to uh, he was uh, taking a run uh, uh-huh. he fell down and it looks like he hurt his back oops Ouch. yeah so okay. it's an i think it's a return of the back injury hopefully it's just a back spasm but uh, anyway he's retired from international cricket but then again he comes back for uh, rcb right uh, later mm-hmm, in year mm-hmm. i uh, see depends I see. on his recovery uh-huh. now so now RCB i understand fans, the rcb fans, fans uh, keep your fingers <laughs> crossed <laughs> i see that's where the concern is i see yeah 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 <laughs> i didn't know you followed the uh, ipl man i think we'll have no, to no i used to follow but i just i just uh, i'm a fan of abd williams i think a lot sure. of us are uh, his fans but uh, i'm joking i'm joking yeah. sure <laughs> so a couple of quick small points about uh, the remaining uh, other miscellaneous things so uh, you know the 100 uh, format has been revealed right effectively officially it's been revealed now and yeah. uh, england has got a backing of 17 out of the 18 counties for this exact playing conditions and format i don't know did you read this kiri no actually not uh, so it looks like um, they want to do uh, like it will be 10 balls from each side so always cricket has been six balls from each side right or eight, so now it will be 10 balls from each side huh? wasn't it eight when it it began it was also days? eight it yeah. was eight it was four you are right but yeah. for the last 40 years or so i think the last country to play it internationally was australia this is in the 70s but after that it's always been six right okay. so now mm-hmm. england is trying to change that a little there will be 10 from each side so only 100 balls and these 10 need not be bowled by the same bowler so it can be five it can be two halves of five where the bowling can be swapped bowlers can be swapped that's one thing and as you say there are there are also some strategy breaks involved and other things but this is this is the main change in the format 100 balls 10 times they change side so 10 such so each bowler can bowl 20 balls same thing that remains constant so it's interesting so we'll have to see how this pans out and they are sort of i think they are ready getting all the fans are ready and they'll be rolling it out full fledged in 2020 is what we know right mm. the last thing is that uh, i don't know if you followed mizoram's women's team playing in the senior t20 league in india against madhya pradesh were nine all out 
and they had wow. nine ducks. Wow. So the highest scorer was extras here. So uh, one of those, you know, uh, absurd uh, scorecards that you can remember. I don't know. I don't know if you came across this. There was this meme. Uh, I realized then it was not a meme, but a real uh, scorecard. Uh, there were these forwards good do, doing rounds a few years ago. There were there is an England county, uh, sorry, an England club match, officially recorded match with 22 Patels. Do you know this? No, no, I hadn't. I didn't know this. There is such a match. So in a club uh, game in England, there are 22 Patels on the scorecard. So something like that, you know, one of those quirks. But in this case, unfortunately, this is a match deciding thing. And MP comfortably won this match. And they hardly took five balls, is what I read. One of which was also a buy for four runs or some sort. So it was a, the match was over in hardly 11 hours, something like this. It reminds so me just, of that uh, imperfect 10. Uh, of course. Yeah, uh, Australian women's side. South, South Australian women's side. Exactly. So, Mizoram have gone one better, if one may say. <laughs> or one worse, yeah. That's it. So, this sort of wraps up all the main discussion points for us, this episode, Kiri. So, yeah. all that remains is uh, the trivia question and some housekeeping. So, the trivia question for this week is, again, keeping with the Ranji theme that we've been following over the last couple of uh, questions, who uh, has the highest batting average in Ranji Trophy history? So, if you look at the annals of Ranji Trophy, you get some very illustrious names. All the who's who of Indian batting there. So can mm-hmm. you name the uh, highest batting average and who has it and what is the highest batting average, right? So uh, we uh, are waiting for your answers. So please get in touch with us either via mail, armchair.cricket at gmail.com or armchair click pod, right, on Twitter or via our Facebook page. These are all the ways in which you can reach out to us. Also, uh, as we always request, please let your cricket uh, friends or friends who follow cricket uh, know about this podcast, uh, spread the word. So we'll always be thankful for that from our listeners. So we have quite a lot of cricket as we've discussed, the ongoing uh, shorter format series, quite a few that are coming up. Uh, There are no more uh, longer format series to expect, except Bangladesh and New Zealand who will be playing a test match series shortly. So all of these we can look forward to in the upcoming episodes. So I hope our uh, listeners are tuned in for the upcoming episodes as well. So thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye from me. Bye-bye. See you next time. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.